0: Welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold Podcast, the JMU sports podcast from the Daily News Record. Once again, I'm Shane Metlin here with Noah Fleischman, we're your JMU beat writers at the Daily News Record, here to talk uh, about big big uh, week on JMU, or in uh, Noah's beats, main beats on the uh, DNR, because uh, historic weekend for JMU baseball with uh, Chase DeLotter going in the first round of the MLB draft. And upcoming is Sunbelt Media Days for football. Football season right around the corner. So a lot for Noah especially to talk about this week. We'll start with a quick look back at Sunday's draft. And you know I'm moving into the to work week too. There was a little bit of uh, JMU news in the draft. But we'll start with Chase DeLotter going number 16 overall to the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, first time JMU's had a first-round pick in a long time. Highest ever pick for JMU in the major league baseball draft. Just take us through Sunday evening, what that was like. Uh for you covering it for what you've heard you know, about, you know, Chase's evening. Obviously an exciting thing for him. And what what it might mean for the JMU baseball program in general.
1: Yeah, I mean the top top twenty pick is really good in the M L B draft. I mean, this is a draft of twenty rounds this year, so plenty of players get that get picked, but when you get drafted sixteenth overall you're you're there for a reason. I mean, he was a guy who entered the school year coming to the season in March was a, a projected 1 1 pick. So, first overall pick. Um, he got hurt twice. He struggled at Florida State. So, the combination, all that, he fell a little bit in the draft. But, you know, draft night, things people didn't know what to expect. I mean, a lot of mock drafts that night had him going between where he was picked at 16 all the way to high, I think 27 ish range, somewhere in there. And so, I mean, when I heard from teams kind of that night when they're picking toward the tail end of the the top 10 top 15 that you know he was coming up in conversations in their draft rooms that just tipped me off like okay like he's going soon a few picks later he's off the board of the guardians um so he also joins a guy named kevin kelly who was picked in 2019 by the guardians in a later round so this is a, who's now a double a with them and so you know this is an organization that likes Jamie players and they took chase the lauder who Had a lot of question marks, but, you know, on the draft they were saying he's got a really high upside in some teams. are looking at him as, like, you know, the upside of a high school player coming out of high school. You can develop him. He only played 66 games in college. So that's not a lot compared to some of these guys who played college baseball for three years. So I think it's overall a good pick for him, obviously, being in the first round, a nice signing bonus coming his way. And he could be uh, playing locally soon in in Lynchburg if he gets sent to to Class A Lynchburg.
0: Yeah, that was my next question is what's going to come up for him Yeah you mentioned cleveland's single a team is in lynchburg well is that where he's going to be to start with have you heard much along those regards
1: um, i've heard from you know other teams and like you know what what they would do in the situation and, and most of the time you know he'll end up so they have until i think the end of the month to sign their contracts right because obviously in baseball even though you get picked you don't technically have to sign your contract and so he, he most likely will just being on where he was picked the high signing bonus and all that so he'll have to go down to Florida and sign that most likely, and do the the work and like do the physical and get approved. Then I foresee him kind of playing in Florida in the complex league probably for a week or two just to you know get acclimated to playing professional baseball, playing every day. It's something you don't do in college. Then I think you know by the end of the year we could see him end up in Lynchburg. If not, he'll definitely probably start the year there next year. But I think we could see him play the last couple months of the minor league season with the Hillcats.
0: You mentioned that. In a lot of ways, he's like a high school player coming out yeah. because 66 games for a college career when you, you can't enter the draft list, you've been in college for three years, <laughs> which, um, the time. you know, there, I mean, there's a lot of guys who, if they make a run in the NCAA tournament or playing 66 games or more <laughs> in, in one, one season, um, <clears throat> they may play hundreds throughout their college career before they get drafted. How does that change what Cleveland does with a guy compared to maybe a typical – college draft pick.
1: Yeah, I mean, so he's technically a retro sophomore, so a junior academically at JMU. In that situation, you're only 21, but he's 20. So, first of all, they like his age. Right? You know, one year doesn't sound like a big difference, but in baseball you know, development, that's big big time. I mean, a guy like Juan Soto is 23, and there's a reason why he's trade value so much, because he's very good at a young age. So, obviously, DeLauder being 20 helps him. Um, he's also 6'5", 235. So, that's not a bad frame for them to work with, but yeah, he didn't play a lot of games. I mean, he's played 24 games this past season he balled out I mean he hits well when he plays but I mean half the time his freshman year got canceled from COVID sophomore year was a disaster with you know COVID riddling the, the season and then this past year this injury so obviously not a lot of time but I think you know you take this guy as a pick he had the best plate discipline of any guy in the draft this year he's probably one of the best pure hitters um so obviously I think That's not a lot to work with, but I think they just want to develop him more as a as an all around player. You know, play center field, JMU probably slide to one of the the corners in the in the professional ranks. But overall, I think you know when you're 20 and you're this good, I think any team will take a chance on you, and I think that's what Cleveland did.
0: Yeah, Um, new looking. He was that wasn't the only JMU news coming out of the MLB draft later rounds. uh, Nick Zona, former JMU player, ends up getting taken. Uh, fill me in there and fill me in on then what the guys who didn't get taken what that means for JMU going forward because obviously probably means that they're going to have some of the guys they're hoping to have back back next year
1: yeah I think that a lot of the guys that they were having hoping to have come back aren't going to sign as an undrafted free agent just because you know there's no point in signing for little money if you have opportunity to come back and increase that but yeah Nick Zona played four years at JMU middle infielder shortstop and in second base um, drafted in the 20th round by the Mariners it's actually his second time being drafted he was drafted at high school in the really late round the 38th round by the Mets 20th round pick by the Mariners um, I foresee him signing that just because he's got a degree at this point like may as well just go for it I mean he'll get $125,000 signing bonus that's the slot he could sign for more or less depending on a negotiated fee um, but obviously he comes from a baseball family his dad played professional baseball his dad works at the Nationals now as a scout so obviously this is a a family that understands the process first of all of the draft just because his dad basically works in that and i think you know being drafted that's probably what he wanted i mean earlier this week i was out with the harrisonburg turks and saw him out there fielding with them and kind of getting back in the playing shape so i think he may have gotten a, a tip off on that you know he'll get picked at some point on day three and that's what happened so two picks for jmu in in a year where they didn't play their best baseball but they didn't play their worst baseball either and i think you know that's that's good to see and maybe some of these scouts saw Zona when they were looking at DeLotter and thought, you know what? Let's take a shot on him.
0: Yeah, if if you're Marlon Ikenberry, almost an ideal situation for you. You get to brag about Chase DeLotter, you get to brag about Nick Zona, but you don't have to worry about, you know, if (laughs) Trey Dabney's getting picked and going to sign, you know, you're going to get your guys that have been saying they're going to come back for the fifth or sixth year or whatever should be back. Um, Mm -hmm. Just how big of a day for the program in general, or well, I guess since it was over multiple days, but the, the draft week, how, how big for the JMU baseball program in general did that end up being?
1: Obviously, having a first-round pick in the top 20 picks is definitely big for you. It's a big recruiting piece just to say, you know, look, you develop a guy who was 5'10 in his junior year of high school a six 6'5 great hitter at the plate. So obviously that works for recruiting, but also, you know, on the flip side, they keep their, their core together of in the infield that is returning with like guys like Kyle Novak, Trey Dabney, People like that, and so Mason Dunaway. So I think that you know when you look at that, it's probably the the best case scenario. You knew you're losing Chase Zona was here for four years. He had the option to take the fifth year, but you know you never know if you're actually going to take it. And so at this point, you know I think that if I'm Marlon Akimberry or Jimmy Jackson anyone like that, I think I'm a happy guy. You know, you've got a lot of key guys coming back. You you had your first round pick, so this could help recruiting as well. Just not only the Sun Belt being a solid baseball league, but also having a, a first round pick
0: yeah Sunbelt is also a solid football league and we're going to learn more about that here next week you're going to New Orleans I'll be covering media days from here doing a lot of remote stuff what are you most looking forward to going down to New Orleans anybody in particular you're looking forward to talking to the most meeting uh, any teams you're most intrigued by just when you look at what's happening with media days
1: yeah, I mean, you look at media day, it's going to be a fun time. They put all 14 teams to be down there across two days. The East will go on the first day, and the West will go on the second day, so obviously JMU on the first day. But, you know, App State's going to be a fun team to talk to. I mean, obviously one of the favorites to win the league this year, and, and when you look at it, bringing Chase Bryce down with them, uh, their quarterback, and I think, you know, App State's a loaded team, but you also got a team like Marshall, bringing Rasheen Ali, who's one of the top backs in the league, and there's his name to the Doak Walker watch list, you know, the award for the top running back in college football, and Somebody's got a lot of guys on there, so obviously the running backs are gonna be a, a, probably a big topic of the week. Just seeing how many that they got on that list, and just how good they all are. And I think overall it'll be a fun week to go down there, and you know get to talk to a lot of teams that, you've ne- that we've never seen and that JMU will see for the first time this year.
0: Yeah, we'll get back to media J in general here in a second, but you, you touched on the Dope Walker Award list. JMU fans are super high on their running back room, <laughs> with with reason. There are ten Sunbelt guys on the Doak Walker Award. None of them are for JMU. Just how deep are the running backs in this conference? That's sort of insane that a Group of Five conference would produce that many guys that
1: are on the preseason watch list. There. Yeah, I mean Georgia Southern has two guys on the watch list. Like when you look when you put it like that, it's kind of crazy. Um, but I think that running back is probably the deepest of this of this conference. I mean, you obviously talk about quarterback. You've got Greece and McCall and Chase Bryce, the top two quarterbacks in the league. Um, but other than that, you look at running back, and every it is, almost every team's got a, a solid back. I mean, when you look at the list, you've got a guy like you know, Cameron Peebles from App State. You've got two Georgia Southern guys. You've got ODU's Blake Watson. You've got Rasheen Ali from Marshall. But you also got Frank Gore Jr. from Southern Miss. So a little mixture of everybody in there. And I think that you know running back would be a, a cool thing to look at, and it's definitely something we'll tackle next week.
0: Yeah, you mentioned, too, that uh, Georgia Southern's got two guys on the list. They're not the only ones with, you know, a pair of backs to put out yeah. there. Jamie obviously has got multiple guys. Marshall's got multiple guys. I don't know who's behind Frank or they other miss. <laughs> that might be like the only one where they've got one really good running back, and it's a question mark after. But otherwise, across the conference, it's just looking like a lot of debt. That's maybe even more incredible than having ten from one conference. Is that <clears throat> it's not like. Those starters, or those guys on the list, are necessarily heads and shoulders above their backups. It's yeah. it's really pretty incredible, that position group in particular, when you look at this conference. There's yeah. there's good quarterbacks, there's good lots of other things, but the depth of running back is is unreal.
1: Yeah, if you're a defensive coordinator coming to Sun Belt this year, you better hope your run defense is good. That's all I'm going to say, because it's almost every team is going to be able to run the ball on you. And, and you're going to want to make the teams throw the ball. I mean, some teams got good quarterbacks. You've got Chase Bryce and Grace McCall, too. You know, Grace McCall, a guy who's been in Heisman talks and whatever, and they're both on the preseason watch list for the, the quarterback award, so obviously that, but I mean depth of the running back is insane. I wouldn't want to be Brian Haynes when you have to game plan for Georgia Southern having two top backs and, you know, Marshall having two solid backs. Same with App State. So obviously, it's going to be a great time this year in the Sun Belt.
0: Yeah, from a JMU point of view, they've they've always I mean, recently, they've had sort of undersized defensive line, but great speed. Mm-hmm. It does seem like They went out and tried to get some size up front. I mean, they They brought in Jamari Edwards How much was that? Looking at you know, this is a different kind of league. Like when it comes to stopping the run and everything, was that something maybe they were looking at when they went that direction as far as you know, getting some guys in transfer portal?
1: I mean, I I would imagine just because not only are you gonna have bigger backs they're trying to have to tackle but the lines in the fbs are gonna be bigger too so obviously you want to have some dudes that can go up against those offensive lines and i think jamie's defensive front when you look at it now you got a guy like jamari edwards he's a big guy on the line now and a few others but also when you look at the linebacker the next level at linebacker who's going to be there to try to cover these backs and go out with them you've got jalen walker out there who's he's a quick guy he lost to diamante tucker dorsey but i mean the linebackers are quick got a bigger defensive front so I think they're kind of loading out for you you know what you're going to see in an FBS is you know have big offensive lines and you're going to have quick backs that can get out there and, and make damage on the on with their legs but also catch the ball so I think that you know they look to be prepared for it but we'll see I guess in week one when middle Tennessee shows up
0: yeah outside of the JMU guys who have an opportunity to talk to a lot see a lot yeah who down there in New Orleans, I think I think you know the whole roster.
1: Almost. So they, I think like, there you know, might be a few teams. Who down there are
0: you most looking forward to getting a chance to talk to, maybe have ideas what you want to write about, things like that? Who, who's exciting you most about people that are going to be at the Superdome?
1: Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, the running backs we talked about, a bunch of them are coming, you know, like Rasheen Ali, probably one of the top backs in the league. But also the quarterbacks will be fun to talk to. I mean, you've got Chase Bryce going and Grayson McCall, kind of the two top premier quarterbacks in the league. Um, But it would be also cool to talk to some of these coaches that we've never talked to and and seeing where they're coming from. I mean, you've got a guy like Clay Helton at Georgia Southern who's spent time at USC. I mean, he's seen it all. I mean, a lot of these coaches have come from these big-time programs, most of them. Some of them came from the D2 level, which is also a different route. But I think overall, when you talk to these different guys, see the path that they got to there, and then you look at JMU and and see how they kind of almost mirror in a way. It'll be kind of interesting to see – you got Kurt Cignetti, who's got all this experience at the FBS level already as an assistant. So, where a lot of these guys have, so we'll see kind of what he can do and, and see if he can take anything from these guys that have made the jump from being FBS assistants.
0: Yeah, and you'll get to talk to Terry Bowden, which is always entertaining and fun. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know how much about ULM is going to be entertaining this year, but media day should be awesome. <laughs> Terry Bowden there. You got a guy named Boogie Knight coming uh, for cool. ULM. They, I don't know what to expect if there's much to expect from the Warhawks on the football field. But media days, I, I think they've already won media day, possibly.
1: <laughs> day two media day. I mean, at least we, we get, you get the preview on the, on day one, but day two of the ULM, it's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, what other position groups kind of jump out to you, whether it's guys that are coming to media day? Because it seems like people didn't just send their quarterbacks, which is interesting. Sometimes, you know, that's what you expect to see, is everybody brings their quarterbacks and you know maybe one defensive stud. It's been a pretty good mix of position groups. So outside, we talked about quarterbacks a little bit. We talked about running backs, obviously, the depth there. Is there any other position or just an individual that you see on the list that you think is really going to kind of stand out or is is interesting to you?
1: I mean, when you look at it, it's kind of like a good mix, as you said. I mean, a lot of teams either don't have a set quarterback or they're just not bringing their quarterback. And I think, you know, defensively it might be interesting to talk to some of these guys about, you know, playing in a conference where the running backs are so good, right? There's a lot of D-linemen coming, a lot of linebackers, and I think that's going to be something that might be interesting to get their point of view on is, you know, you've got a conference with running backs and who's there to stop them? It's guys on the other side. So I think, you know, getting their point of view of looking at this conference, you're like, sheesh, there's some top-level quarterbacks but there's a whole lot of top-level running backs as we talked about. So I think, you know, their point of view will be cool on it and I think that that's something to look forward to, but you can also look at the ODU guys. And we might have a little story on, you know, what the ODU and JMU guys want to name this rivalry. I don't know. We could have a little fun with it, and we'll see what they say.
0: Yeah. That's another thing, you know, you hit on. There's going to be a lot of newcomers to the conference, obviously. We cover JMU. That's been a huge aspect of everything we do. I'm sure that's going to be a big topic conversation for all four of those schools and everybody there represented them. How, how much do you think that's going to kind of dominate? The conversation once you know everybody's there is that this league looks a lot different there's new teams Will you know louisiana or app state coming back after playing a championship game will they get tired of hearing questions about all these new teams that they you know maybe don't think about that much
1: i think it'll dominate on day one with the east i mean when you look at the four teams that are new three of them come from the east right three can i count right yeah. yeah, three of them come from the East. So I think obviously that will probably be a big topic with Marshall, Odeo, and JMU, and then you look at the West. And I think Southern Miss is cool, but I think more of the East will probably be dominated by that. And then the West might have a few questions, but I don't think as many as you know those teams will get.
0: Do, do you think those other teams have high expectations for the four coming in right away? I, I feel like Marshall obviously is going to be pretty solid and right in the mix there do do you think the other teams will have respect I don't know if that's the right word but will they be you know anticipating what JMU ODU Southern Miss might bring to the league right away
1: I mean you look at what ODU did last year they they had a terrible start to the year but finished on a really big note winning winning out going to a bowl game so obviously I think they may have the respect for their peers of saying look at this team turned around completely mid-year so yeah I think the question mark is JMU and what's, what's going to happen. Obviously, we're going to get a front row seat to that next year, and I think some teams are interested. They know what JMU can do in the FCS. It's a winning time program, but you got to see if that translates, and we think it might, but it would be interesting to see, you know, what, what some of these longtime FBS teams think about that, and I think that would be interesting.
0: Yeah, you gave me a natural transition of something I was going to get into is the interesting aspect of media day, and I'm sure you're going to be probably floating around to the other teams' as much or more than JMU yeah. because you talk to them a lot. But the, one of the interesting aspects is whenever you go to a media day is, you know, you cover one team a lot. You've been talking about the same things for months and months, which with JMU, a lot of that is the FCS to FBS jump. Now you get to go there and listen to everybody ask all the questions that you've already asked a yeah. hundred times. And they've mm-hmm. already answered a lot from us Do you think that's just going to be, like, the main thing for these JMU representatives to answer? Or is that what they're going to be talking about the whole time, is, like, what it means to go from FCS to FBS?
1: I I imagine that's going to be a bulk of their questions. And I imagine, you know, they're going to probably be prepped for that. And obviously, good reason. I mean, they're going to get, during that press conference, they're going to get probably thrown a million questions about the FCS success, how that will translate to the FBS, things we've already hit on with them. So obviously, yeah. And I think that, you know, they're sending two guys, three guys. Including Coach Cignetti, you know, that, that are <laughs> more than prepared to answer those questions. They've answered them with us last spring, and I think they'll be ready to go next week.
0: What do you think, Other besides that obvious transition question, what do you think other beat writers, people from, you know, radio people from other areas, especially maybe the West, where JMU is a complete mystery, Yeah. what do you think other questions are going to come up about JMU from... Outside media.
1: I mean, I did a radio interview a couple of weeks ago with a outlet in Monroe, Louisiana, and basically the whole time we talked about what Harrisonburg was like. So you know, I think there might be a lot of questions about where is JMU first of all, because you, if you're if you're in Monroe, Louisiana, you don't know where the heck Harrisonburg, Virginia, is, and I think that that might be a lot of questions too. It's like getting to know not only them as a program but also the university and, and things that go around outside of just playing football at JMU and, and that, because everyone can look that up, but it's harder to look up, you know. Harrisonburg and the things around that. So, I think that's probably going to be a, a main topic for them.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense because, you know, I think about the West Division. And I've been to Hattiesburg. I don't think I've been to any of the other actual college towns in the West <laughs> Division. So, it's, uh, I'm sure that aspect of it will be fun beyond Media Day. Yeah. Just, you know, getting people out here for games that maybe have never been here before and everything. So, that should be cool. Before we wrap it up, short episode today we'll have tons to talk about after you come back from New Orleans. But before we wrap it up, just who else, when it comes to the Sun Belt, is there any particular storyline beyond what we've talked about that you're really kind of following through or you're expecting to really kind of build on once you get a chance to talk to more people?
1: I mean, the obvious is probably, you know, NIL within the Sun Belt, and that's going to come up, and as well as realignment will come up. But, like, when you look at it, It'll be interesting because there's a lot of JMU connections and Sunbelt connections within it. Like Brian Shore is now at Georgia Southern as an assistant there. And so that'll be kind of cool to talk to Clay Helton about that, bringing him on staff and things like that. I think that's what I'm kind of looking forward to, finding those those, those little stories that you might not think are too big until you you know you might start talking to people and realize you know Clay Helton and Brian Shore met or whatever and turned into a job. So I think I like those kind of stories where you can kind of find the person behind them and see, you know, like, Clay, you're a guy from USC. You can hire basically anybody, and you hire we hire Brian Shore. So we'll see what, what he says.
0: Yeah, that, that'll that definitely be an interesting thing. Will you ask about um, – will you talk to Marshall about, you know, Jamari Edwards, will you talk yeah, to Arkansas that's State? Yeah, like that's you know, the,
1: the, the goal is to kind of just go to Arkansas State and ask about Jarius and basically be like, well, what is JMU getting from Jarius or Jamari Edwards, right? And you, you get their point of view of what kind of player he is. And even though they left, you know, I think the coaches and the players there will still be able to say – things i don't think that either of them left on terrible terms or anything they just wanted a, a new start and then got it with Jamie.
0: yeah that's something that would have been exceedingly rare just a few <laughs> years ago to go to media days and talk about guys playing for different teams within the conference but that's definitely a definitely a big part of it with the with the one-time transfer rule and everything yeah allowing for more of that um they'll be interesting once you get on the field uh definitely be interesting to talk to them about that you know in person, and
1: um, both of those guys play their former schools this year. So, including Jerry's, who goes to Arkansas State, so yeah, that be fun. Yeah, should be fun.
0: Well, before we wrap it up, anything else you want to add? Anything? Have you made dinner plans? Anything like that for New Orleans? it Seems like that's probably the most important part of the trip.
1: Uh, I, I was told to eat beignets while I'm there, so obviously going to do that. And I think we're just going to you know explore and play by ear. Then couple those couple nights, I'm down there, and we'll see. we'll report back. After I get back about uh, the food in New Orleans, i right. see how it goes.
0: That might be its own episode. <laughs> okay. All right. So we'll go ahead. We'll wrap this one up. And uh, you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. And we'll be back next week with more on Sunbelt Media Days.